Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Locked Down Podcast with Kayla Williams and Taylor Parsons. Cybersecurity encompasses so many facets of business risk. Wrapping your head around it can be overwhelming and stressful. Join us to learn how to tie cybersecurity strategy to overall corporate objectives and best business practices while gaining an understanding of technical and non-technical approaches to security and privacy, regardless of tenure in the field. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, uh, welcome to the Lockdown Podcast with Kayla and Taylor. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to focus on introducing ourselves. So obviously, I am Taylor, and we have Kayla on as well. Uh, We will start with our backgrounds. Both of us have prepared a couple questions, uh, both professional and personal, uh, just so everyone can get get to know us and really understand our background and where we're coming from and why we really wanted to do this and get this out. So Kayla, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey everybody, I am Kayla Williams. I am the CISO at Devo Inc. I have about 15 years of experience in the information assurance realm, ranging from external audit all the way up to being a CISO. Um, I have a non-traditional path into this field. And I think that my perspective is going to be very different from Taylor's on most uh, instances and most questions that are asked of us because of that audit assurance and risk management mindset versus the overly technical, sometimes complicated perspective that (laughs) hands-on technicians have. Um, You know, I really feel that the value that I will be able to bring to all of you is a different perspective on understanding why we have to do certain things, how they can be done without causing disruptions to your business, and really keeping organizations aligned from a strategic perspective. Um, GRC is my bread and butter, and you know I, I'm hoping to learn a little bit more from Taylor on the technical side through this adventure that we're you're calling our podcast. And uh, you know I look forward to hearing from all of you as we continue to pump out information and get these uh, podcast episodes in front of the audience. Awesome, thanks, Kayla. So yeah, I mean, I've got, I guess, 16 years uh, between information technology and cybersecurity focus. Primarily, uh, I spent five years in the Marine Corps, uh, hands-on as an administrator for Windows and Linux systems. Uh, we did some networking. Uh, we, we ran some fiber, punched down Cat5 cables for phone and Ethernet. Had a great time there. Uh, transitioned into civilian life, uh, worked a couple of you know, jobs with contracts, uh, IBM, uh, some other organizations like that, and then really stepped into an extreme focus in cybersecurity, uh, starting off in EDR uh, with a company called Carbon Black. It was Carbon Black Plus, Bit9 at one point. Then we were just Carbon Black. Now it's VMware Carbon Black Business Unit. Um, spent time in EDR realm with another company called Cyber Reason before moving into uh, digital risk protection. And then from there, uh, moved to Devo uh, as well as uh, manager and then promote the director of professional services, focusing on implementation, uh, driving security value back to our customers. And then recently uh, stepped over to a company called Sevco Security, 
uh, co-founded by a lot of that original Carbon Black team. Uh, throughout my career, uh, primarily been focused on hands-on things like support uh, and customer success, um, extreme focus on mentoring and leadership internally, and then you know really empowering our customers and our users to understand the tool and how it's going to benefit their security program. So I've done a lot of you know hands-on troubleshooting. Uh, we, you know, we've done investigations, we've done threat research, done a little bit of uh, cyber threat intelligence and applying that to investigations. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of hands-on practical experience. I, I, I'm pretty technical. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, reverse engineer any malware anytime soon. Uh, I've been working on some Python scripts and things like that to, to really round out my skill set. Uh, but very much focused on, you know, solving problems and, and helping customers get value. So that's, that's my big thing. Um, so, you know, again, very, very different. You know, I've done a lot of the customer support stuff, customer success, uh, really, really partnering. You've done a lot of the, you know, the posturing and the guidance, making sure that people like me are, you know, guiding our customers and adhering to, you know, not just our internal security policies, but global security policies, you know, the, the PCIs, the GDPRs, the HIPAAs. Um, so, I mean, it, I think, you know, for our, our listeners and our viewers, you know, you'll get that understanding that, yes, Kayla and I have worked together really well uh, in, in the past, and she was actually a customer of, my, customer of mine at one point, um, worked with, you know, her teams, uh, but you'll get that, that good balance of, you know, solving issues and also making sure that we adhere to the right guidelines when we're solving issues or, or making recommendations to our internal customers and external customers. Yeah, I think a lot of what's lost today is the tie-in to how security is not just a cost center. It is a you know, it's a driver and that it comes with compliance for your customers. A lot of times you hear, oh, well, SaaS, we're not regulated yet. So we don't have to abide by anything. Well, that's not necessarily true because if you have a financial services organization or biotech, medical of any kind, um, they're regulated and their requirements flow through to their third party vendors. And, and there's a lot of reputational risk that comes with not complying and obviously there's a financial risk as well. Uh, you may lose that customer, but um, you know, I, I really feel that um, overall that information security or cybersecurity, whatever flavor you like, um, is really no longer this cost center that does not drive value for the business. Sure, tools are expensive and people in our field can be expensive as well, uh, but the processes that are put in place through best practices and, and implementation of the security requirements to meet technical privacy laws or or industry and um, even region specific security requirements really will help to bring in customers. So I, I, I kind of feel like that that's a very outdated concept. And I, I know we'll we'll definitely get into those discussions as we continue down um, th this path of, of this podcast. Um, with that being said, Taylor, I do have some questions I would love to ask you. Absolutely, let's go. And, <laughs> And for those of you that do know us um, individually or together, we, we we like to, what they call in England, take the piss out of each other. Um, I lived in England for, for a year um, and I go back very often because of my family, but um, Taylor and I do that a lot. We take, we take, 
little jabs at each other. And it really helps, I think, to lessen some of the stress <laughs> that we deal with and being able to laugh at yourself and, and everything, I think is really important. Um, so with that said, Taylor, um, what's an insult that you've received that you're proud of? Ooh, um, an insult that I've received that I'm proud of. Um, your, your gingerness and your beard did not need to come into play here. I'll just yes. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, <laughs> Um, I think the worst insult that I'm extremely proud of, um, is that I am one of the worst employees, um, that ever worked for a previous manager. She, uh, she and I, uh, we actually had a great, great relationship, uh, much respect to her. Um, but she, she did, she told me I was one of the worst employees that she ever had, um, because of my military background and some of my personal upbringing, you know, as a child, I've, I've got a certain drive, right? And I like to see things through. Uh, it, and unfortunately, that, that led all the way up to the day that I got married the second time. Uh, it was a, a random, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, my wife and I decided, hey, we're going to go to the courthouse and get married. So I, uh, I put out on Slack, hey, uh, can someone cover my on-call shift? I'm going to go get married. And so naturally as my manager, uh, she came back and she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, we're just, we're going to go. Like, we're going to go, you know, six o'clock tonight. We're going to go down to the courthouse. Uh, we're going to find a stranger to be our witness and we're going to get married. And she was like, okay, cool. So you're going to log off now, right? And, and get prepared for the day. And I was like, no, like, I'm still in the middle of tickets. Like we, we still have work to do. Um, so she was very upset that, you know, I, I wouldn't take the rest of the day to get ready to get married. And not only did I not take the rest of the day, I ended up coming to work the next day. Uh, so no time off. And she, she wasn't very happy about that, but we knew that we had uh, upcoming time off. Um, and it was just, it was an intimate moment between me and my wife that we were able to share because we do have six kids. Um, so we were actually kidless uh, at that point for the first time in I think three and a half years. And so we knew we had time coming up um, to spend time together, you know, alone and as a family. Uh, but she was quite upset that the day I got married and the day after that <laughs> just kept working. That, that checks out. Yeah, I could definitely see that being something that you would do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, well, I'll start with a personal question for you too. Um, if you could do any job anywhere in the world for 24 hours, what would you do? I would like to be, um... oh, I would have to say, I'd like to do like, 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 um, one of those, uh, hand dive, like for hand diving for like scallops or like lobsters or mussels or whatever, um, for just for the day, uh, just so I could, you know, I, I would like to do it in a, a good climate, not necessarily in February off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> but I would like to do it like to like the Caribbean or to, any of the the coral reefs in the Pacific Ocean and really um, just spend some time underwater completely alone with my thoughts, which maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but just surrounding myself with nature and, and calm. I, I feel like in my role, um, not just as a, as a CISO, but as a mom, uh, it's just constant chaos and constant noise. So that I think that quiet would be appreciated. Um, and then just for, you know, just for that day, um, eating my catch, of course. Uh, but yeah, just for that day, because, um, you know, the, the likelihood of getting attacked by a shark, run over by a boat, bit by something that I shouldn't have been bit by, it just would increase substantially after that. So I think that would be the one job that I would want to do. And plus, I'd love seafood. So cooking it fresh right from, from the ocean would be incredible. No, I definitely agree. Uh, 24 hours is, uh, is a long time to gamble those odds. Um, but hey, uh, being yeah, alone but- with your thoughts, I think that's, that's enough. Yeah, well, Taylor, we're both super pasty. So I think it would be really good for us to get like a base hand before we went and something like that. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I, I, the, the, the lonely part, um, that would be scary. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you obviously have a lot going on at home. I've got a lot going home between, you know, kids and uh, my zoo uh, of animals that you guys give me a hard time for. And then, um, you know, coaching, uh, youth football, uh, taking that one. So I, I don't even know what a loan looks like, uh, over the last couple of years. So if you, if yeah. you get that opportunity, we'll, we'll definitely have to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, it's like a dream, right. Just to be alone. <laughs> so, so that sounds really, really nice to me. Um, and it sounds more and more appealing as I sit here and think about it. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I got a question for you. Um, what is a common myth about your job? Ooh, so there's a lot. Um, so I answer this in, in, in twofold, right. As a, you know, as I, I often get labeled as a cybersecurity professional, uh, the professional aspect is what's in question for sure. Um, I do know a lot about cybersecurity. One of the most common myths is that you have to know everything, right? Um, we, we often talk about, you know, trends and analysis and, and, you know, training and new employees or, you know, up-leveling employees, but we, we don't really talk about what their skill set is when they come in and what their expectation of duties are. We often, um, I think the term unicorn is uh, often overused. I, I see it a lot in a lot of blogs when you're talking about valuations or you know uh, markets or even employees. But I think that we've, we've invested so much into hustle culture um, that we expect everyone to know everything uh, we expect every organization and even every business unit to have a jack of all trades. In the, the security realm and all of the components that make up cybersecurity, there's no way. Um, I know what I know because of the blessed opportunities I've had of my exposures, right? The threat hunting, the investigation. I know how to go search for bad things. I don't know how to break down the bad things once we exploit them and, and find them. I don't know how to do, you know, reverse engineering on malware. Um, I can't, you know, compile a bunch of code, but I can, I can take myself to the point where I can turn it over to someone where that's their expertise. And, you know, as, as we're both leaders, 
in you know several different companies. I think, and especially since COVID, we we always talk about what do you know, what can you do more, uh, because hustle culture really took off during COVID. So we we expected every employee, oh, you're not traveling to the office, you should be learning this. Um, not realizing that their job duties were still omnipresent and even more stressful at certain times. Uh, you know, when we when we first started traveling back to the office in, in Cambridge, um, we expected, you know, everyone to be there and maintain that same level of, you know, knowledge and execution that we'd grown accustomed to while working remotely. Um, and then at, on the customer success side is uh, every customer is going to renew. Right. I think that's one of the most common myths. Uh, you know, companies often set targets on uh, net retention or um, annual retention or label retention uh, with the expectation that, you know, you're going to be high 90s to 100 uh, percent for net retention. Sometimes it goes as high as 130 uh, percent. But what we don't often do is we don't compare that analysis based to, you know, what the market's dictating. Uh, we, we base it off a trend that may be historic or, or could be an archaic uh, OKR that, you know, much larger, much more um, mature organizations. So I think, you know, one of the things that we've really got to break down, especially for startups, is understanding what, what on your path of maturity and your current path of progress, what is the real number of renewal? Like what, what is an an executive team are you happy with? What as a success team are you happy with? And what number are you going to report to the board uh, so that everyone still gets paid, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think for for like companies rather that are in that early stage to, you know, small business startup, even up like through that middle kind of leading into being in, um, a large organization. That is a very common struggle. Um, and, and really understanding that the goals that you set in January may look very different in July, October, November. It really depends. And being able to pivot, it's a, a phrase that I've been using a lot. And I guess it reminds me of friends and Ross screaming pivot <laughs> for like hours, but you know, being able to pivot and, be, and being flexible is super important and having the ability to recognize when you should is a skill set that's missing from, from, all, like, from all aspects of business, not just the executive team. I mean, like all teams. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you're right. It, it's key. Um, and, and with that being key and talking about executives, um, I mean, firstly, I, I don't know that I've given you, you know, really a, a public congratulations uh, since you were promoted this year uh, to the CISO. Uh, so first, congratulations. But that that really does, you know, pivoting it and, you know, maturing your business really leads to my next question for you. And as a new CISO, uh, what has been the, the biggest learning curve for you? Uh, is it really pivoting? Is it you know, what, as a, as a new CISO, almost, you know, a year in at this point. Well, over, over a year. Is it? Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, over a yeah. it's over yeah, it's a year. It's over a year now. Um, um, <laughs> biggest, the biggest learning this year. Um, you know, I know how to pivot really well because GRC, I'll say, you know, like that's just taught me how to be able to pivot. Like when I write a security framework or a policy framework of any kind, 
I don't say how to do things. I just say what needs to be done. So that pivoting is very simple. Um, and I try to make it simple for other organizations as, as well um, within the company. But um, I think the biggest learning for me is that I am not going to make everybody else happy, no matter how hard I try. I'm, and and I, it's, it, I think it's also a personal lesson too, right? Like uh, I'm never going to be enough for everybody. For some people, I'm going to be too much. And honestly, who cares? And that's their problem. And, you know, that's not like just speaking about like my personality, which can be a bit over the top. Sometimes I'm very loud and very direct. And some people don't appreciate very, that. Very Northeastern. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've got the Britishness or sorry, Englishness from my husband too. Sorry. He is English, not British. I get corrected all the time. <laughs> um, and he's very direct, but you know, I found that there are some people who are like, well, why are you even a CISO? You don't have any technical hands-on experience. You have a written a line of code. Like, how can you tell me what I should be doing? It's like, okay, you're right. I haven't written a line of code, which actually technically I have because I did it at the Museum of Science in Boston, but whatever. Um, I can tell you what to do because I have read books. I have understood the laws and regulations. I've looked into, I've read ISO cover to cover so many times. Like, I know application security, I know software development security, but if you have a CISO who is hands-on doing coding, you've got bigger problems. Your, your CISO shouldn't be doing that. And while I'm not technical and I may not completely understand the jargon that's being thrown at me and, and, and things like that, I have surrounded myself with all women, by the way, happy women's month to everybody out there. Um, but my leadership team is all women and they're technical and they and their team support me because I'm a, I'm a servant leader. I'm very empathetic. I try to be at least sometimes, obviously you can't. Um, but you know, my, my team are very smart people and they all will come to me and be like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. And we have a conversation and I'm constantly learning from all of them. And I think because of, of the naysayers and the people that have said to me like, oh, well, you, you know, you, you've never done, you're not technically, you've never done this before. You can't be a CISO. Um, I've learned to have like that, that thicker skin and, you know, just let it go. Like, you know what? I am here. I am succeeding. You know, I'm the CISO you can put in front of a customer that can talk about how something, your product or, you know, our best practices or whatever it is can help your organization because I can decipher like the business requirements into functional specs and vice versa and, and build those communication bridges so that, that the executive team can understand the deeply technical speak and vice versa. Um, and that's actually a very underappreciated skill set across the board, not just in security, I think everywhere. And being able to tie an OKR, objective and key results, or a metric or a data point or insert synonym here um, into how it drives business value is is something that every person should know how to do. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of times, you know, as a as a security community, we get we get very lost in the what have you done for me, not where can you guide me, right? We we you know the the term celebrity CISOs, right? A, a lot of those celebrity CISOs have been very technical in their past. Very technical. A lot of them, I think, would also admit that they've had or struggled to 
shift gears into defining risk and metrics based on the business needs compared to the security team needs. Uh, but I agree with you. You know, if you're if your CISO is responsible for your firewall. Um, or your CISOs, you know, writing lines of code outside of, you know, the practical norms of fun or, or keeping their skills sharp, um, but actually, you know, applied principle for your business, there, there is the, the potential that there's greater risk to that organization, because oftentimes, you know, as a developer, as an engineer, you get singularly focused into a task and you could end up missing things. Um, so I agree. I mean, you know, I know that I've got another question for you later on, um, but I think that your shift into the CISO role has been 100% unique. Um, and I know that we've joked about it, but in all of my research and my LinkedIn uh, sniffing, um, I haven't found, you know, a extremely hyper-focused GRC-backed CISO. So I would almost bet that, you know, you might be the first one. Oh, I doubt I'm the first. I'm probably the loudest. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's definitely something that you're, I'm starting to see more of, right? Like I get hit up all the time for like questions um, to like, as a CISO, like, hey, where do you see the market going and things like that, mostly through LinkedIn as well. Um, and a lot of companies are starting to, to see the value that GRC, governance, risk and compliance, for those that don't know, um, how that discipline really can impact an organization. And it tends to sit under a CISO to start because a security team has more of the, the discipline and the procedures just due to the nature of our business. Um, but then it tends to move out from under security and into a CFO or a COO organization and help to spread those principles across, especially if you don't have an enterprise risk management function or internal audit um, to help you hone those, um, those areas. GRC is is the place to, to start. 100%. Yeah. All right. My turn to ask you a question. If you could have coffee or beer with any historical figure, who would it be? Uh, so, you know, I, I used to give the, you know, the bread and butter answer of, you know, someone like my grandfather, right? Grandfather was um, in Korea, um, he did, um, you know, he did, he did several things. It, it used to be like my, my generic answer because I wasn't really sure. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, defining who I was as a person, um, what I wanted to be, what, what I wanted to stand for, my morals. Uh, you know, as I've developed professionally um, and the way that, you know, I've, I've dealt with certain situations and grown my career. I think for me at this point is someone like Jackie Robinson or, you know, Jesse Owens, um, someone like that, someone who, who broke barriers, um, which you have obviously had to do as a woman in tech, right? We know, we know what, what the environment looks like. We know the, the things that have been said, you know, the terms like good old boy network, that type of, of thing. Um, and then obviously as a, you know, as a white male, um, you know, I, there are certain barriers that I've not had to break, but what I've done is I've invested in my EQ. I've worked cross uh, culturally 
uh, with companies in Israel, companies in England, uh, companies in uh, North Africa, South Africa. I've got, you know, great military leaders that um, helped me experience a, a lot of things and a lot of different leadership styles. Uh, but there are certain things that, you know, I know that I could be a better ally doing or I could present better or I could, you know, really focus on maturing other people to see certain things and see disparities. Um, you know, it's kind of funny when I was at Diva, we actually had a recruiter um, who who was both very loving towards me and frustrated with me because of my hiring practices uh, because of how out of the norm um, I do things. Uh, there were a lot of requirements that, you know, there that I think eliminate the possibility of women applying um, or people of color applying because, you know, statistically, if they don't match all of the qualifications, they're less likely to apply. Um, so rewording job descriptions, uh, giving those interviews to people that have more junior resumes that often probably haven't been given the opportunity to gain experience or, you know, even gain the experience of interviewing. So they're not, they're not well prepared to really talk about themselves. Yeah. Um, Gotta get out of my head, Taylor. That's, I just actually wrote something about this. Um, See, this is how I know that we, we're just meant to be friends because I actually just wrote about this um, in a call for papers. That's amazing. For conference. Yeah. And how companies can do a much better job of putting, um, putting more emphasis on a complementary skill sets than just the standard, um, you know, degree certificate very limiting. There's a barriers to entry that are not necessary anymore. They're not. Um, you know, we actually have, uh, we, we both know um, some senior executives that are at companies that are completely eliminating education requirements. Um, I, I am neither here nor there for college or for standard secondary education. Uh, I've tried it. It wasn't for me. I'm actually trying to go back um, just so I can say, uh, because I'm very much, if I started, I'd, I'd need to finish it. Uh, otherwise, I can't say it to my football players. Uh, so I am trying to finish my degree. I'm trying to, you know, really grit through it. Uh, but the, it's not, for me, it's never been a barrier lacking that education. Now, granted, yes, I had a military background that did open a lot of doors for me. Uh, but we know that there's, you know, biasness in, you know, certain terms or, or the way things are displayed. And opening that up, uh, I really think uh, will help a lot of people. I mean, I've, I've hired uh, bartenders as project managers. I've hired engineers that were pet store managers. Um, you know, there's, there's no specific skill that you have to have to gain an entry into cybersecurity. There's the aptitude to learn and there's the aptitude to apply yourself and your knowledge to your current realm. And I think that's the only thing. And I think for that reason, someone, you know, like Jackie Robinson and all the adversity and hate that he faced, uh, but the, the relationships that he built internally with his teams, you know, after they, they basically went to war together, you know, he wasn't welcomed in the beginning, but 
he fought and he, he you know, they showed extreme bravery and, and extreme um, dedication to their craft. And they were able to, to change millions and millions of people. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of people, majority of the people were very slow to catch up, I would say. Uh, but someone like that, I think it would just it'd be absolutely revolutionary to speak to someone like that. And you know, gain the understanding of, of what being a better ally or, you know, what opening doors and the impact it has on society. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think there's anything else I can add to that. I completely agree. Yeah. So I know you threw a personal question at me, uh, but we really hit hit the, uh, the GRC thing. And I really want to tie off on that. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, you've got a, a financial services background. Um, and then you really shifted into GRC. Uh, so why or what led you to the path of, of going down GRC? I didn't choose the GRC life. It chose me. No, um, it's actually very true. Um, so I graduated with a degree in accounting. Um, my thought was I'm going to be a CPA. I'm going to go down this path and, you know, eventually be a CFO. That was, that was my goal. When I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to do that because I have family members that have worked for like Bank Capital or have been, you know, successful in other places. And for me, um, it it was, that to me was like it, right? Like, oh my God, got to be a CPA, got to, you know, got to do that. And I started to work as an external auditor doing municipality audits. So town halls, city halls, schools, things like that. And I hated it. I was miserable. I wanted to create something. I wanted to learn more about different facets of business. And I just couldn't do that in, as an external auditor. So I used my skill set and moved into internal auditing at a financial services company, which Sounds like it's exactly the same. It's not. <laughs> um, yes, the auditing bit's the same, but I got to learn a lot about how businesses operated. So I was doing regulatory audits. I was doing um, treasury audits, um, hybrid audits with like IT and like technical projects, um, operational audits for like an entire process of um, like dividend payments because the company that I worked for is a, a global transfer agency. So I was going in and, and auditing the manual step-by-steps that are being done by people and machine and making sure that, that the dividend payments that you're receiving from your stock were accurate and being sent on time according to law. It was really cool. Um, and from there, I got in touch with like the data privacy team and they were doing audits as well. So we kind of like partnered up on some things and they're like, hey, we have a new global CISO. We're going to be hiring, um, you know, we think you should apply. I go, okay. He came to the office one day um, and I just printed off my resume and handed it to him and said, I'd like to have a conversation, please. I want to work for you. And that's, the rest is really history. I did, I started working for him. Um, you know, that approach may not work for everyone. My personality, it just works. Um, so you know, I had that conversation. I started working for him within a few months. I had to finish up the current audit I was doing. And um, within three months of working for him, um, I got my GISF from SANS, which is like that foundational information security certificate. I think it was like a 301 was the number. Uh, and then that's, that was actually, I got, I started working for him in March. And by the end of July of 2013, he offered me the opportunity to move to England 
and work more directly with his executive leadership team because he saw leadership potential. And I said, yes. Uh, so by November of 2013, it was November 15th, I got on that flight. My first time going to England, uh, moved over there by myself. My three-year-old daughter was at home with her dad and I just went. And I spent the year there and I got promoted in that time, became the global program manager, helping with a global transformation project for um, risk management. So it became like information security and enterprise risk in one function. And that's really where the GRC piece came in. And that gave me a lot more experience on risk registers, risk profiles, how to quantify risk, build out an entire, really from the, like, it was like a rip and replace of an entire global program. And I, you know, I did that for a couple more years and then I was like, okay, there's really nothing else here for me right now. So I became the GRC director at Lock Me In, which is now um, GoTo. And I helped to establish their first GRC function there, reporting into their CISO. And it was at the time, the portfolio was 22 or 23 SaaS products, all doing something very different. And we brought in risk. We um, amplified the, the the focus on um, compliance management. So it went from having just a SOC 2 into having four ISO certificates. Um, those businesses spun off, going through an IRAP certification, which is really an, uh, a risk assessment for um, the Australian government for one of those businesses. Got a little stagnant and I said, okay, what's my next challenge? And I moved over to Devo as their VP of GRC, where then I became the CISO from there. And the that was not my plan, not yet at least. Uh, I, I, it was just, you know, I, I was given the opportunity and harking back to like, you know, the, the trip to England, it was like, sometimes you just have to say yes and work it out as you go because you don't know when the opportunity will ever give present itself again. And that's exactly what I did. I was like, yes, I, I, I do want to move to England. I want this experience. Yes, I want to be your interim CISO. I want the experience. And, it's, and, you know, luckily for me, it's, it's worked out. There's been a lot of bumps along the way, of course, a lot of ridicule. I mean, being a 26-year-old mother moving away from her three-year-old daughter, you can't imagine the, the vitriol that was spewed in my direction. Still to this day, I have to justify why I did that. Um, but then I look back and I say, she was three. She doesn't remember it. And look at the life I've been able to give her since. So, it, it you know... You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, but the, you know, the GRC life definitely chose me and it's gotten me to where I am. Lots of blood, sweat, tears, anxiety, um, but it's absolutely been worth it. That's amazing. Um, I mean, and obviously you, you don't need any, you know, confirmation or, you know, um, reconfirming of the the decision that you made right uh your success is obviously there uh there's no question about that but not just your success but your your impact on the community uh you've ground broken two completely brand new grc uh departments in two different companies yeah. uh you know great success there you know helping with those um those spinoffs at at go to um i mean resume speaks for itself right so you know the the means definitely ju were justified um people people are gonna hate right uh yeah you know, just uh like uh lebron's decision to go to to south beach he was hated for that uh <laughs> we'll, we'll equate kayla's decision uh to move to England. <laughs> you just didn't get the press conference that's all 
Sure. I don't know. I don't think I belong in the sphere of, of the king there, but thank you. <laughs> I guess I'll take it. Um, and then um, my last question for you, Taylor, is um, at what time of day do you get your best work done? Oof. And I ask this because I know your life is chaotic and my life is chaotic but I sleep a hell of a lot longer than you do. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, luckily I've been in positions where, you know, for the last, let's say nine years, uh, probably going on 10 at this point, I'm getting old um, last, but for sure the last nine years, I have not worked a nine to five job. Um, so I've not had a set schedule for going on a decade now. So for me, uh, I, you know, got a lot going on, got a lot of kids, got a lot of animals. So there are, there are quiet moments in the day that I get my best work done. Typically, uh, right when the kids leave for school, uh, I'm getting work done. So usually between 6.30 and 8.30, uh, I'm getting a lot of work done, right? And then... Then I get to that point in my day where I'm like, mm, maybe I should go for a walk or, you know, maybe, maybe I should really pour another cup of coffee at this point. Um, so, you know, I'll take a little bit of a break about 830. Um, you know, sometimes I go to the gym, whatever it is, to, but really just break up my day. And then I'll go about, you know, customer meetings, things like that. And then I'll go to football. Um, you know, right now we're in our 7v7 season because it's spring. Uh, but starting in June, we'll start working up, you know, football camps. Uh, we'll take a time off in July. Uh, we're actually taking a lot of time off because my daughter is going to Taekwondo Nationals. Um, she she qualified. She's North Carolina champion. So go down there, watch her, watch her spar in July. Uh, but, you know, typically during those times, you know, I'll have my customer meetings where I would say I'm not really productive. I think you'd agree. Um, customer meetings are, are great. Uh, for, you know, solving problems, building relationships and completing objectives. Uh, but for your actual work, you know, sometimes you just need that, that downtime to really focus on executing. Um, you know, a, a big sweet spot for me is like 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Um, sitting on the couch, you know, I've got noise in the background, but the kids are asleep or, you know, they're finishing up their night playing PlayStation, reading, texting, whatever it is kids do these days besides Minecraft and go to school. Um, that 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., like, that's my that's my real sweet spot. That's why I generate a lot of reports. That's when I know. No. no, 9 to 11 p.m., my, my jam is sleep. Like, <laughs> no. No. But I'm just going to interject that and say no. Yeah. But I mean, I get a lot of downtime during the day too. So, you know, when I don't have customer meetings, uh, I'm, I'm typically, you know, if I'm not working on something, I'm not at my computer. Um, so I spend a lot of the day doing other things like cooking or, or cleaning or, you know, really relaxing. So my day's broken up a lot. Um, I really can't complain. So if you're not a, if you're not in a nine to 11 type of person, I'm thinking what five to five to 7 AM. No, I'm still sleeping. No, I'm not a morning person either. No. Um, I would say my best time is probably like 11 to 2 PM. Um, and that's always because I'm not tired. I'm not being bothered by my kids. Um, I'm just able to sit here in my office and 
and get stuff done. Even if it's like a call, um, that's, that's okay. I, I'm more alert during that time. I'm caffeinated already. I'm good to go. Um, I haven't had lunch yet, so I don't have that like 2 p.m. slump. <laughs> um, Great, nap. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm better 11 to 2. And then, um, you know, some nights I work later than others. I'm also a Girl Scout troop leader for my daughter's Daisy troop. So Wednesday, every other Wednesday, I'm out of the house. Um, but definitely from like a functional perspective, it's it's that sweet spot there. So that's a, I mean, that, that is a key, key time period. Uh, I'll counter though, um, 11 to one. Uh, and I, I just kind of continued this 11 to one when I was, when I was in the Marine Corps, that was when you really went to like do your own PT or, you know, for a lot of us, uh, we would go play basketball. Um, so we would, we would take our chow time uh, because it's still called chow. Uh, we would take chow, uh, probably, you know, jog to, to the gym, depending on how far it was, or, you know, get in the car if you're feeling kind of lazy, um, hydrate up and, and go, go hoop for a little while. And then, you know, really about 1245, you're, you're kind of rushing out of the gym, wiping off the sweat, you know, throwing your blouse back on, get back to work. Oh. Um, and then really we'd spend one to two just eating. Um, so that, that 11 to two, 11 to one time period is a little sacred. I, I really don't like to work then. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny though, because at, at my current company at Sevco, um, our company all hands, because we're still small enough to do that. It, it, it really is a blessing to be able to, you know, bring almost everyone on a call every day and really just say, Hey, you know, what's the business need? What do you need? What are we doing? Right. What are we doing wrong? Um, and that's something that we, you know, I think in a future episode, we'll really talk about like company meetings, company culture, things like that. Um, but it's funny because most, not most, but a lot of us are, you know, military veterans. We got a lot of, uh, um, air force guys, a couple of us Marines, uh, a couple, uh, people from the army, we call them soldiers. Um, you know, the, the company meeting is right at 11 o'clock and it's a, it's like a 15 minute pass down. I'm like, guys, come on. Like I'm supposed to supposed to be at the gym. I'm supposed to be doing something else. You can tell all the military guys they're they're all kind of antsy at, at eleven. Yeah. Like eh, no, let, let's go, guys. Um. So yeah. So I've I've got uh, one last question for you too. Um. You know, kind of talking about that nine p.m. to eleven p.m. time range where you're sleeping. Uh. But obviously, you you lead a global CISO organization. What keeps you awake at night? As a, as a CISO, what, what wakes you up at one o'clock in the morning when, when the rain's coming in and you're like, oh man, did we do that? Yeah. For me lately, it's not one, it's been, um, three to five fifteen for the past several weeks, almost like clockwork every other morning I'm awake and I mm. just stare at the ceiling and then stare at my phone at Slack, to be honest. Um, what keeps me up is. I'd have to say the, the, um, the uncertainty and that that's super vague. And I think a lot of people can relate to it though, even with it being vague, because you just never know when something's going to drop. You don't know where it's going to come from. You don't know when it's going to hit. You don't know how, how much it's going to impact you. And that uncertainty, um, which I'm going to be a nerd uncertainty on objectives is risk. That's my job. Um, <laughs> yes, I've thought a lot about that too. Um, you know, even if it breeds opportunity, it's still risk. 
and mm -hmm. you just don't know what's going to come in. And over the past several months with the, the last pass breach, the, the mass layoffs across our industry globally, um, it's like there's more people that are, that are out there that have an opportunity to, to target anybody in any industry. And then that, that vulnerability that no one knew about gets exploited and then it's all hands on deck and it's like log for j all over again or solar winds all over again and um that like that like that like ajita is like oh my god like when's it gonna happen and um yes yes i see a therapist occasionally <laughs> like <laughs> to talk about these things um but you know i think the, the disrupted sleep is because have we done enough are we prepared can we pivot as easily as I mentioned before, you know, are we going to be flexible? Our teams, our, our upstream and downstream dependency is going to be flexible. Are they going to, are, have they just, you know, is it rigid in what they're doing? And they, they just don't know how, because they've never had the license to do so. You know, what does that look like? Um, sure. We've done that tabletop, but did we cover all the things that we needed to cover? And, um, and then of course, like, you know, Hey, I'm a mom. So it's like, Oh, my kids have this going on and Oh, I'm going to miss that. And like, just last night I missed uh, the Girl Scout troop meeting that we had um, because I had a, a commitment at work and it's like, Oh, I, I hate that. And it makes me feel guilty. And of course I came home, the six-year-old mom, I missed you. And like, you didn't miss me. You with your friends, you're having fun. Stop guilt tripping me. Like are, are, are like kids like, like just born with this ability to just rip your heart out and make you feel guilty. Yes. yes. Do they exploit it all the time? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, th there's a lot and I, you know, I think it's very, um, it's very unfair to say it's only work related for anybody. I think we all have so much going on and that's really where being empathetic to people is so important, especially as a people manager, you just never know what's going on in someone's life. And, um, there was a comment made earlier today on one of the Slack channels I'm in um, about executive presence and how, you know, they were people have told this person, you know, you fidget too much. You're never going to, you know, have a promotion or whatever because you fidget. And I responded, I was like, I fidget constantly because I have a bad back and I'm, I'm in pain. So you'll see me do this a lot or like I'll put my shoulders down because again, part of my, my tension is in my shoulders. And it's like, just to have a manager that, that, that they think they're trying to help you by saying something like that. This was said to this individual a long time ago. It still follows them around. They said, oh, I'm still very self-conscious about it. Like, am I, you know, fidgeting with my pen too much, my hair, you know, moving around too much and how do I do better? You are who you are. And, you know, being a people manager, being empathetic to that and, and providing feedback in a better way, that keeps me up too, because I have people who look up to me and not just in my organization, but others that reach out to me about things and that keeps me up. <laughs> yeah. So it's, 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 oh, it's just so much. So everything, life. <laughs> life is life. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to your point, we, we can run every tabletop under the sun. We can we, we can run tabletops weekly. We can run executive only tabletops. We can run security team tabletops. We can run that pen test, right? But people are creative. AI is taking off. Threats are naturally evolving. Mm -hmm. um, 
people are often manipulated, right? Um, the biggest threat to any organization is people, right? It, it, it's fact. Technology is technology, uh, but the, the biggest risk, um, if you were to look at your, your risk portfolio, is people. Um, people have anomalous behavior. People can be tricked. Uh, people can develop malicious intent. People can develop, uh, you know, an, apti an aptitude or an ignorance to, you know, evolving technology. Uh, I mean, we've seen people get exploited from old Chrome browsers, right? That they haven't updated and all of a sudden they install this plugin and they're leaking credentials. Whoa, whoa, whoa. is that a dig at me because my Chrome browser the other day was not completely updated? Wow. Okay. It may, may or may okay. not. Okay. Okay. No, I see how that that's going to be. All right. I mean, as Thoughts long as your OS fired. is up to date, right? <laughs> yes. Everything is up to date. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and we will have to talk about people risk because I don't necessarily agree that people are the weakest link. Not, no, I don't think they're the weakest link. I think they're the greatest risk. Greatest I mean, risk, weakest link. There, there's definitely a conversation to be had there because I don't agree. Ooh. That will be- And we'll end on that. Yes, we can end on that note right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I think, you know, with us wrapping this one up, our, our intention is we'll definitely announce our special guest for the next podcast soon. Uh, we'll work on, I think we're going to do a live with our guests, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes. Hopefully build some questions from the community, really uh, bring someone on that, that's going to garner some attention, open some eyes into you know, nude and developing areas or, or areas of expertise that they have uh, primarily focused on. And, and it'll be a lot like this, a lot of Kayla and I going back and forth, um, giving each other uh, a hard time or making fun of each other. And then we'll just have a witness this time. Uh, that way no one gets reported. <laughs> well, maybe. Thank you all so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And um, hope you'll tune in to our next episode. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Locked Down Podcast with Kayla Williams and Taylor Parsons, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.